You're listening to Ottawa's Baseball Show. It's Around the Diamond with Diamond Dante and Mike Nellis on CKDJ 107.9, home of the Ottawa Champions. Here's the pitch. Kenny Bryant sends this one down for a base hit into right field. Two runs are going to come in to score. Donnell Duarte going to third, and that's a two-RBI single for Kenny Bryant. Champions League 2-0 over the Cuban national team here in the bottom of the first. Up the middle, diving! Kenny Bryant makes the catch in left center field for the first out of the inning. What a catch by Kenny. Oh my goodness. Seven walks in this game. Runner going outside, throw to second, and it's a double steal. Run coming home to the plate, and he's safe. Matt Helm steals home, and the champions lead 5-1. to Shea sends this one into right field down for a base hit. Rounding third is Mastroberto. Here's the throw to the play, and it's not in time. And Mastroberti scores. And the champions tie it up at one with an RBI single from the captain, Sebastian Boucher. Batter, high fly ball, deep to left field. Coming in is Matt Helms, and he dives and makes the catch. Matt Helms has been an excellent defender for the Ottawa champions. And he shows it why right there with a dolphin dive catch. There it is. And here's a big pitch swung on by Boucher. That one's put into right field. And that's not coming back. A home run for the Ottawa champions. They take a 5-3 lead. Sebastian Boucher, a two-run jack. Oh my goodness, Sebastian Boucher just sent this one out of the ballpark. The right fielder Ramirez knew that ball wasn't even coming back. It was way out of here. He looked up and watched that one sail into the seats. What's better than a sack fly? A two-run shot to take the lead. 5-3 to three, Ottawa Champions lead. Oh my goodness. You're listening to the only baseball show in Ottawa. It's Around the Diamond here on CKDJ 107.9. Welcome to the June 25th edition of Around the Diamond on CKDJ 107.9. I am Diamond Dante, joined here with Corey Mess in studio for uh, today's show. Corey, how you doing? Doing excellent, Dante. It's uh, it's great to be here. It's and uh, a fun, exciting show. We're in the middle of baseball season. Just, just feeling good. And, uh, I mean, a big show coming up as we have uh, coming up in our next segment, John Fitzsimmons joined us, the most dominant closer in the Can-Am League. Following that, Miles Wolf is going to join us to talk about the Cuban series. Of course, you just heard uh, the main calls of that Cuba series from myself and Corey Mess uh, for the intro of the show. And then after that, uh, we're going to do a player feature on Nick Cunningham. He came out of the Baltimore Orioles system and now signed with the Ottawa Champions. We'll touch on that in our final segment when Mike Nellis comes on the show uh, to talk about the big trade that the Ottawa champions made in acquiring Derek Piles, releasing Brian Van Kirk, and also acquiring uh, Mike Mastroberti from New Hampshire, Southern New Hampshire College as he came on last week. But we're going to go and dive in uh, deep into that topic. But, Corey, uh, to start things off in this show, of course, Cuba came to town against the Ottawa champions. And, and quickly, why don't you just tell us about that experience and seeing the whole pregame festivities uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday? Oh, it was an unbelievable spectacle, and uh, and having them here, uh, they they play. Uh, we we talked to um, uh, John Fitzsimmons later in the show, and, and he talked about how just such aggressive baseball players. They they don't strike out a lot. So complete. It was fun to watch them, uh, but also um, uh, their mannerisms on the field. It's just a different style of baseball, and and we saw that with their fans as well. About I would say two to three hundred Cubans fans showed up for every single game. Sat right behind in the dugout and something we haven't seen before even in 35 degree heat dancing singing um uh chanting it never ended um it's it was all a party and it was a wonderful time and also at the ballpark 16.4 hundred fans at every single game yeah 16,000 that's a lot yeah absolutely uh, uh yeah exactly uh, um uh, 16,400 excuse me at, at every single game just unbelievable unbelievable fans here in Ottawa and it was uh it was really fun to see yeah and that 16,000 total over the three game series quite a bit I mean the largest in franchise history uh but of course uh, we're going to move over to the MLB um a big topic going around in the AL is who will start the American League All-Star Game for the American League. And a lot of people have been saying that Red Sox knuckleballer Stephen Wright should 
catch the All-Star game as he leads the American League in ERA as a knuckleballer with a 2.03 ERA this season. He's been the most dominant pitcher for the Boston Red Sox, one of the most dominant pitchers in the American League this season besides Chris Sale. A lot of people are saying that he shouldn't start the All-Star game, and a lot of people are saying if he does start it, who will catch him? Corey, your, your, your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I, I don't know if anyone deserves to catch him. Stephen Wright's had a good season, and I think it, it's sort of the thing with John Scott being in the, the NHL All-Star <laughs> game. People want to see something a little different, and and, and it's, I think it'll be fun to have a knuckleballer as the, uh, as the starting pitcher in that game. Well, I mean, people are saying that Salvador Perez should, should catch him if he does start the All-Star game, which he probably will. I mean, when's the last time we saw a knuckleballer start the All-Star game? I don't think it's ever happened before, but people are saying Salvador Perez should catch it because he's the most notable choice. Well, absolutely, and I mean, um, we talked a bit earlier, and I think you were worried about pass balls, but it's only going to be an inning, and I think you have to give Salvador Perez a little more credit. I mean, but the question is, Corey, do you want to see, I mean, that many pass balls? And How do you know that they're going to be pass balls? Well, you never know. The guy hasn't... But then you just said it yourself. You never know, and I'd like to give Salvador Perez a little more credit than saying he's not going to be able to catch knuckleballs. Well, you're right. I guess you may be right about that, but... Um, I guess we have the three questions of this show that have been going on uh, inside the MLB. Um, another, I saw an article on ESPN saying, can Ozzie Guillen manage again? I know he's looking for a job right now, maybe as a bench boss or a first base coach. Can Ozzie Guillen come back to the major leagues? I don't know. I, I think that, I think, no, not quite. Uh, Ozzy Guillen, uh, I think, was a good manager at his time, but he, he seems a little out of touch. He always seems a little out of touch. Uh, he says uh, quite a few things that, that are, are insensitive, things like that. And I just don't know if any team wants to deal with the headache. He clearly knows baseball. He's clearly very smart when it comes to the game. But it's more than just that when you're a major league manager nowadays. And I, I think you do have to represent your franchise. And I'm not sure if anyone wants Ozzy Guillen <laughs> representing their team. Well, I mean... I like his personality. But Absolutely. He's very entertaining. But just because he's entertaining doesn't mean that a front office will want him to bring the circus to town. <laughs> bring the circus to That's a good one. Um, so a, a big question that I wanted to talk about in this show is, what, who are the eight active players in the MLB that would be Hall of Famers if they retire today? Uh, Corey, we took a look at some honorable mentions, uh, Chase Utley, CC Sabathia, Joe Maurer, Robinson Cano, Felix Hernandez, and Alex Rodriguez are some honorable mentions, but I don't think those guys make it into the Hall of Fame. I, I agree with you on most of them, although Felix Hernandez, he has a lot of career left, so we'll have to wait and see on him. Um, uh, Robinson Cano, I think, is is vastly underrated, but I, I think that'll affect him going into the Hall as well. Uh, Joe Maurer, he, he dominated for a couple of years, but he never really had power numbers, and, and I think that's an important thing going into the Hall of Fame. But the one I disagree on is CeCe Sabathia. I think CeCe Sabathia is a, a, a Hall of Fame pitcher. He had a few years, um, uh, about three or four years, uh, between Cleveland, Milwaukee, and the Yankees, where he was maybe the best pitcher in Major League Baseball. Well, and and I don't really think there there is an argument. Um, a six-time All-Star. You look at his Hall of you look at his Hall of Fame type credentials. He has similar numbers to uh, to Tim Hudson, to um, uh, to Tom Glavin, to Roger Clemens when he was 34, and so. So uh, Roger Clemens was able to extend his career, but I I really think CC Sabathia is a Hall of Famer. And Chase Utley, the uh, you know L.A. Dodgers second baseman, has been a very consistent second baseman, one of the best in the past decade. Has always put up good numbers from the left-handed side. Corey, do you think Chase Utley has a chance to make the Hall of Fame uh, when his name comes up? That that's a really interesting question because you look at Chase Utley and and really he spent five years as maybe a top three second baseman in all of baseball. And the best, I think. Won a, won a World Series, really was was consistently the best player on those Philadelphia Phillies teams. For a few years, they were um, one of the dominant teams in Major League Baseball, and now he's kind of rejuvenated career. Everyone thought he was he was kind of dead, and, and he's had a really good season this year with the Dodgers. And now we're going to look at you know six players that are definitely going to be Hall mm -hmm. of Famers. Albert Pujols, without a question, no this doubt. guy has been one of the best first basemen of all time. Probably the best hitter of the era. One, absolutely. When a guy hits 340 in his rookie season with 40 home runs and 140 RBIs, I mean, there's yeah. a, there's something going on there. I mean, I, I know that was a long time ago. I know with the Angels, he's hitting 250, but... Well, I want to get to this a little bit later with Pujols because I had a, actually let's get to this now, Corey. I had a conversation with Andrew Cooper of the Ottawa Champions, 
and he had said to me, his favorite team is Detroit. He said Miguel Cabrera is a better pure hitter than Albert Pujols. Well, and and over the last couple of years, I think Miguel Cabrera clearly the, uh, a better pure hitter. But uh, when when Saint when Albert Pujols was with the St. Louis Cardinals, he could hit anything. Um, uh, and and really, uh, I think that he's not giving Pujols enough credit for his Cardinals career when he says that because he was the most dominant hitter in baseball over that period. And, Nobody. And I think I no, he didn't win a triple crown, but I, I think he could have come close a couple times. And I, I honestly think that. That well, it's because the era that he was in. I mean, when Miguel Cabrera won the Triple Crown, nobody had 50 home runs in that year. He won the Triple Crown with 44 home runs. And that's what I mean. And and yes, Pujols, Never the, hit the last few years, the Pujols the last few years has hit a lot more, um, I, I think, uh, for for power, uh, um, but that could be a product of his environment as well. The Angels, uh, of course, they'd like to hit him a little uh, hit uh, a little better for average, but um, uh, could be asking something a bit different from him in his approach. So, uh, I mean, uh, looking back at St. Louis, Albert Albert Pujols, uh, he was the best hitter in the league, no doubt, and, um, and and that's why, like, I would put them maybe on the same level, but I don't think I'd put Miguel Cabrera above. Okay, and you know, let's go to another guy who's for sure going to be in the Hall of Fame. Itro Suzuki uh, will definitely be in the Hall of Fame. Adrian Beltre is another guy that I think will get me in the Hall of Fame. He's very underrated. A lot of people don't know that he has over 2,800 hits at the age of 37. He's still producing defensively. He's still producing offensively. He could very well in the next two seasons reach that 3,000 hit mark. Absolutely, and I was a little surprised, to be honest, Dante, when when you showed me that earlier. And, and you look at he's been a stalwart defensively um, uh, for for his entire career. Um, uh, and he's been a, a silver slugger for, for a big majority of it as well. So I, I think it's really, really hard to to say that Adrian Beltre is not a Hall of Famer, especially after he gets the 3,000 hits. And I think you're right. And finally, before we wrap up this segment and get to our interview with John Fitzsimmons, the Quebec Capitals closer, uh, David Ortiz, you know, having an excellent season over his career. He has 521 home runs, one of the best Red Sox of all time. For sure, he's going to go down in the Hall of Fame. Well, and, and not only one of the best Red Sox of all time, but I, I wonder what you'll think of this. Uh, um, him, he, like, he might be the best DH of all time. Him and Edgar Martinez, I think, are very yeah. close, but uh, uh, maybe the best designated hitter of all time. And it's hard to say, especially when that position is, is limited to one league, but he mm-hmm. is he is the best at that um, uh, over his entire career. Well, you know, for example, you go for three one day, and he'll still come in and, and and do good for you, and that's what Big Poppy's been able to do over the last couple of years, especially what he's done for the community. One of the the best guys in the community. You know, he does things for uh, the Red Sox community, and is a real great guy off the field. But that's going to wrap up this segment. Uh, good MLB talk, Corey. But coming up next, we're going to be joined with John Fitzsimmons over the phone, the Quebec Capitals closer. Listen to this, ladies and gentlemen. Has not allowed a run in 17 innings pitched this season. We'll see if he can keep that streak alive. And I hope I don't jinx it. Coming up next on Around the Diamond on CKDJ 107.9. Hey, this is Daniel Bick from the Ottawa Champions Baseball Club, and you're listening to the Ottawa Champions on CKDJ 107.9. Welcome back to the only baseball show in Ottawa, sponsored by Samba. You're listening to Around the Diamond on CKDJ 107.9. Our guest for this segment is Quebec Capitals closer John Fitzsimmons. John is a native of London, Ontario, and originally started his career with the Kansas City Royals organization and is now a dominant closer in the Can-Am League. John, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. No problem. And and, and John, just to start things off, uh, you're a London, Ontario guy who now plays in Canada for the Quebec Capitals. What's it like playing in Canada? But it must be a little bit different playing in Quebec as well. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot easier for a Canadian baseball player uh, looking for an independent baseball job uh, to play in Canada because you don't need the, a working visa like you do to play for a team in the U.S. It's a lot more difficult for the U.S. independent teams to get you that working visa. Um, but, of course, playing in Quebec, it's great. Um, and it, it is a different experience because, the obviously, they speak French here. So it takes a bit of adjustment, uh, everyday life, but nothing's different at the baseball field. 
Now, uh, John, just kind of going back, this uh, Corey Mess, uh, broadcaster with the Auto Champions. Thank you so much for uh, for joining us on the show. Um, I, I'm interested to ask you about uh, just kind of the start of your career. Even before college, uh, you came back from a, a pretty bad shoulder injury. Um, and so talk about that recovery process, uh, a successful high school career, but that maybe uh, maybe slowed down your development going into uh, going into college. Yeah, obviously, any injury isn't isn't ideal. It's not good. Uh, when I was 17, I tore my labrum, um, and that was just right before I was actually going to be heading to college uh, after that season. So it was too bad. Uh, I had to get surgery on it, and it took me just about seven months to rehab it, and was able to come back just as strong as I was before, which I'm very lucky because that doesn't happen often with the label of surgery. Um, and my college coach uh, actually suggested I stay home and rehab it uh, so that I was kind of just in a, bit, a better atmosphere, excuse me. Hmm. Um, and then I was able to, uh, he was able to come watch me pitch again, make sure everything was the same and, and take me to college after that. And yeah. that, that must have been really important, having a college coach that even with the injury uh, still believed. Did you Had you already uh, been involved with Canisius before your injury, or uh, or did that kind of come after? Yes, I, I'd signed my letter of intent to go there. Uh, and Mike McCray, the coach there, he is a, a very good. He was very good with me. Uh, he made sure he let me know that they obviously wanted to do everything they could to get me there, and he would take me in to rehab me, but he said from his experience and what he's seen that it'd be better for me to stay home just in case I didn't come back and then I could uh, from my injury and then I could make that decision myself. But uh, he's very supportive and he was rooting for me to come back. So, Yeah, that's John Fitzsimmons joining us here on Around the Diamond. And uh, when I look up and down the, the roster, the lineup for the Quebec Capitals, I see many Canadians, almost the whole team are Canadians players with the likes of Jonathan Malot, Jordan Leonardton, even Sheldon McDonald. Is it any different or better to have a good amount of Canadian contact, not only in the clubhouse, but the team itself? Uh, you know what, that's tough, tough to say. I think, like, it, obviously, it, it's great. Everyone on our team are, are great guys. Uh, and it's nice to see you know Canadians getting jobs in baseball because I was explaining it's it's very tough uh, for us in independent baseball, uh, let alone even making it to affiliated baseball. But you know I, I've played with a lot of different people from a lot of different countries, and there's great guys everywhere. Um, obviously, like I said, it's just nice to have uh, some Canadian content on the team, just because the team's in Canada. I think it helps with the fans and uh, everything like that. Uh, just two weeks ago, John, you had a chance to play the Cuban national team, uh, which you guys actually took the series. So congratulations on that. Why don't you tell us, tell the listeners about the experience of playing the Cuban team? Well, I, there was a lot of, uh, you know, how to put it, there, there was a lot of like you know pregame stuff. A lot of you know they're very strict with what they wanted us to do before the game and yeah. before the first pitch, and then after that, it was right down to baseball. And, they're a very competitive team. Uh, they uh, they they had some good pitchers. You know, they were different. They didn't they didn't throw 95 miles an hour or anything like that. They were they had really good off speed stuff. And then you had to mix it in. And their hitters didn't really strike out. They were very aggressive. Yeah, uh, which is kind of a change from what we're used to, at least. Um, and you say what you're used to, and you talk to Dante about the Canadian players on your team. Uh, you guys are, are lucky to have a, a couple Cubans on your team as well, uh, a couple really talented players. Uh, what's it like playing with those guys? Yeah, those, I mean, those Cuban guys, I think I think that Cuban national team is missing those guys because <laughs> uh, Santos and Graciel, and, uh, they're, they're great. And in Mandalay, when he's healthy, he's also a very, very good player. So... I think that team was was missing those guys for sure because those guys have been different uh, difference makers for us. Yeah, and you, you know Graciel's brother is uh, about to get signed by an MLB organization. Uh, but John, so far this season, you've been the most dominant closer in the league this year. Uh, and I mean, I'm not trying to jinx anything or anything, but you haven't allowed a run in 17 innings. What's been the main main key to your success so far this season? I think honestly, it's just been a focus on you know staying consistent with my mechanics and what my routine you know day to day, and and obviously not trying to think about any of that stuff, uh, worrying about you know the next outing, you know what's coming today, you know instead of looking into the past and 
uh, you know, seeing what I've done. It's more about uh, what I need to do that day. So. John, the um, uh, I just wanted to to ask you. Pitched two years in the uh, in the Pioneer League with the um, uh, with the Kansas City Royals organization. Um, you went from Canisius College. You you played in a a couple summer leagues. You got noticed out there. But um, after being named your conference's um, reliever of the year two years in a row, uh, was it was getting drafted something you were maybe thinking about and just didn't work out? Yes, de- definitely. I thought uh, right up until I didn't get drafted, I was going to get drafted. So uh, it, was, it was kind of tough, but uh, you know, I, I, I know how the draft is. You know, uh, stranger things have happened than someone not getting drafted, right? So I just headed to summer ball after uh, after the draft was over and tried to focus on that. And I was honestly surprised when. I got. They offered me a contract out of that league. I didn't even know you could do that as a junior. So, <laughs> and uh, uh, John Fitzsimmons is joining us here on uh, on around the diamond. And so, do you, do you think maybe that came about because of because uh, uh, of the the torn labrum problem, and you you just had to basically show those guys what you could do? I don't think so. I think you know. I the way I look at it is that I was healthy for you know, since basically since I had recovered from that injury. Yeah. So, okay. you know, I pitched a healthy three years at college, but you never know. Uh, you, you don't know what they're thinking or anything like that. Totally. Yeah. And, uh, uh, John, uh, you know, why don't we, why don't we talk a little bit about your approach? You come into the ninth inning when the game is on the line, what's your mentality when you come in just to get those three outs because uh, three outs, because I'll tell you, you're the first closer that's ever came on our show. So we're just curious to know about that. Um, well, my approach, I don't know if it's uh, different for anyone else, but honestly, it's just to come in there and throw as many strikes as I can because in the ninth inning in a one-run game or two-run game, the worst thing you can do is put guys on base, uh, you know, free passes, like and try to live with the walks, um, even if that means just coming in and throwing basketball down the middle to, to get the first strike. You know, it's, it's come in, get ahead of uh, hitters, and then throw your best stuff to try and get them out. Yep. Uh, and and you know you have really good stuff, John. Uh, you're a really high strikeout guy. Um, are are you just a guy who kind of? I actually read an interview where you said you're you're much more well suited as a, as a reliever just because you you get there and you're just an all out effort guy for uh, for however long you're in there. Yeah, I definitely am. I I haven't started since high school, and when I did start in high school, I could usually only go three or four innings because every pitch I threw was a uh, max effort. And uh, that's just what I like to do. That's how I, I feel I'm effective. Um, if I'm not beating a guy when I'm, you know, if I'm, or sorry, if I'm going to let someone beat me, it's going to be when I'm throwing a hundred percent, I don't want to get beat throwing 85% just to, to get a strike over. So. And that's John Fitzsimmons joining us here on around the diamond Quebec capitals closer and one of the league leaders in that department. Uh, John, um, We've watched you play quite a bit, quite a bit, not only in Quebec, but also when you came here to Ottawa to face the Ottawa Champions. You were dominant in that series. But the one thing that we've been curious to know is what kind of pitches do you throw, and where do you average in terms of speeds? Why don't you tell us about that? Uh, I've got a four-seam fastball, and honestly, depends on the day. Uh, it could be anywhere from 90. I think in Ottawa is actually 94, I believe, mm-hmm. um, at my top. Uh, but usually it's 90 to 92. Uh, I throw a cutter, uh, which is just two miles an hour slower than the fastball, and uh, changeup, which is, uh, I don't know the speed on it, but um, I like to go to my changeup a lot, so... And I guess, have you considered yourself a closer your whole career? In college, you're you're a closer. You managed to get you know multiple saves there, along with Quebec last year, this year. Have you considered yourself a closer your whole career? And do you really like that you know that role? Uh, the role is something I definitely like. Uh, in college, I definitely uh, embraced the role a lot. And then once I got the pro ball, I kind of didn't expect uh, to be the closer. Uh, definitely one that has an affiliated ball because. As much as maybe 90 to 92 and in, in, in college is a good velocity in pro baseball, it's really pretty average. So yeah. uh, the closers in, in pro baseball, uh, you know, at least in my mind, uh, have have a lot better stuff. But um, I love I love closing. I think it's it's definitely my favorite role out of the time. So if I get the opportunity to do it, uh, definitely going to take. It, so. 
and um, and you've thrived in the role uh, this year. Now, you pitched uh, uh, the ninth inning uh, at Canisius in a, uh, uh, as part of a no-hitter, a nine-inning no-hitter. Um, uh, and, and just talk about that, uh, uh, coming in in that situation. That must have been a, a pretty big moment, the first no-hitter in, uh, in your school's history. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Uh, we were in the pen, and our starter got pulled, and we're like, I don't think he's given up a hit. Yeah, that's kind of weird, but, uh, you know, we trusted what our coach was doing, and I think another reliever came in before me, and you know, we're kind of sitting in the pen just like, oh, man, we we knew what was going on. Like, usually you let the starter finish that out, and we're like, we don't want to ruin this. So, mm-hmm. um, But it was the same approach as we would take any other game and sure. come into the game and attack the zone. That was it. Yeah, and uh, John, before we before we let you go, uh, you're from London, Ontario. So uh, maybe growing up, did you go and uh, watch some uh, London Knights games? Probably when you were a kid, Corey Perry was still there. Just you know, we're in Canada. We want to know exactly you know about hockey and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, I did. I was I I'd seen a few uh, London Knights games. Uh, Rick Nash, I think, played when I was really young too. So nice. that was pretty cool uh, experience to see there at the. Uh, I think it was called the Ice House um, <laughs> back in the day. So, yeah, I mean, I like hockey. It, it's tough to follow, you know, when I'm doing my routine. But yeah, I'm, I'm a big hockey fan. I do like London Knights. So I guess since you're a hockey fan, I, I just wanted to tee up this question. Uh, Wayne Gretzky's son plays for the Quebec Capitals. I know he's been injured. He's played a couple games of you guys. But what's it like to have uh, Trevor Gretzky, the son of uh, Wayne Gretzky, uh, in the dressing room? One thing I definitely try to do is not compare him to his dad. You know, he's his own his own guy, right? He's his baseball players here. Um, it's definitely cool. The fans love him. Uh, every time his name gets called, he gets a standing ovation. And it was cool <laughs> to see his dad actually come out to our, our home opener and watch his son hit a walk-off single yep. uh, the first night. And uh, we got to meet him after the game, which was pretty surreal for uh, a Canadian kid growing up watching hockey. So, um but Trevor's a great kid, and he's a great ball player. And once he gets healthy, we're gonna we're gonna be glad to have him back on the field. Um, and just to, to finish up here, uh, before we leave, uh, actually before the the interview, uh, you learned that uh, that your your former teammate now Derek Piles uh, was traded to the Ottawa Champions, um, uh, an indie baseball veteran. What kind of guy uh, are the Ottawa Champions getting in Derek Piles? <laughs> You're getting it. You're getting a character for sure. He's a great guy. Nice. Um, a very interesting guy and a great hitter, as you guys can probably see by his numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were just saying, like, why can't he have been traded to the American Association? Because we're not looking forward to facing those <laughs> pitchers. So. Well, there you go, because you're probably going to have to come in and, and face him. But uh, that's going to wrap up this interview. John, we thank you so much for coming on the show, and uh, uh, we wish you best of luck for the rest of the season. I uh, hope you keep uh, holding that uh, uh, no run streak. It was a pleasure to have you. Yeah, thank you so much for uh, for joining us. That was Quebec Capitals closer John Fitzsimmons. We thank him for coming on the show. Coming up next, Miles Wolf will join us to talk about the weekend that was the Cuban national team coming to Ottawa and the fireworks and the big success that was there. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think it was a tremendous success the um, the Cuban series over the weekend, and so just get Miles' insight into what his thoughts on the series were. Yeah, don't turn that dial. The commissioner of the Canon League and owner of the Ottawa Champions, Miles Wolf, will join us coming up next on Around the Diamond on CKDJ 107.9. Hey, this is Jason Coker from the Ottawa Champions Baseball Club, and you're listening to Ottawa Champions Baseball on CKDJ 107.9. Welcome back to Around the Diamond on CKDJ 107.9, sponsored by Sambat. Before we were talking with Quebec Capitals' John Fitzsimmons, now we're talking with Miles Wolf, the commissioner of the Can-Am League and owner of the Ottawa Champions. Miles, how you doing? Doing very well, Dante. Thank you. No problem. And uh, to start off... Um, this segment, Miles, why don't you tell us a little about last weekend's big series against the Cuban national team in which you guys had over 5,000 people at every game. What was the biggest key to the, to the Ottawa champion success and having that many people in that big weekend? I think it was just the attraction of the Cuban national team, you know, which is in a way legendary, you know, had played against uh, the Tampa Bay Rays in the spring. I think just everybody in Ottawa got excited about it and, uh, you know, it was just great for us to see that many people in the ballpark. 
And uh, Miles, talk a little bit about the uh, the series itself and and kind of what it meant. It was just a, a different atmosphere in that stadium. Uh, all those Cuban fans constantly uh, behind the Cuban dugout with their their drums, their horns, singing, dancing. It was it was really a, an unbelievable spectacle at the ballpark this weekend. No, that's what everybody said. That it just the atmosphere was just really special. Obviously, the Cuban fans and. And, and you know that's what we wanted uh, to have that atmosphere. We're you know you know we've got the Shikoku Island team coming uh, next week, and we're hoping to get some of the Japanese fans for the drums. They have special atmosphere at their ballpark. So to bring international baseball to Ottawa, uh, I think is is really just interesting for everybody because even the teams. One reason that Cubans wanted to come is they wanted to play against North American-style baseball players where, you know, the different, it's a little bit different style, and they wanted to experience that because they've got the World Baseball Con- uh, Classic coming up in March, so they think this will help them. And the Japanese the same way. They play this small ball baseball, and so they get to play, you know, against North American tight baseball and it's it's just been very interesting the last few years yeah and you're right about that miles and of course uh, you had a chance to to go to cuba and you know recruit some players but why don't you tell us how did the experience kind of go in getting the cuban national team to come and play the canam league what what kind of work did you do in order to get the cuban federation to let the team come to canada and the u.s to play the canam league um it's been working for the last three or four years we've been trying to get a relationship with them Really, Michelle Laplante up in uh, Quebec City has done okay. most of the work. Uh, and for the last two years, the Quebec team, the Lake Capital, have, have had a first year they had one player, then last year they had three. And the Cubans got a comfort with uh, <clears throat> working with the Can-Am. They realized that the quality of baseball was really good. It would be competitive against their team. The you know the other players who came here went back and said, "Hey, this is really good baseball." And I think this year there were no Pan Am games, no Olympic games. Baseball is not part of the Olympics this year. The Cuban national team likes to travel each summer, mm-hmm. and we were a great option for. Us. So it just all fell together uh, last fall and winter. Well, and, and Miles, you mentioned those uh, those players on the uh, on the Quebec Capitals the last few seasons. This year, uh, Ottawa got a taste uh, of it itself, uh, picking up uh, Alexander Maeda, Donald Duarte. Uh, um, talk about what that kind of means for the Can-Am League. There was a brilliant article written by John Morosi last year about the uh, about the Cuban players in Quebec City, and now we're getting to experience that in Ottawa. And uh, talk about what that means just for the I, I think the the integrity of the league yeah i mean well maeta is legendary in in cuba i mean he's 39 years old but in tremendous shape but he's been captain of the national team and to have him here to as i say every city he goes to their cuban fans who line up for his autographs sort of like you know mickey mantle or whomever your favorite player was well that's he's been that and Duarte is one of the top clutch hitters in the Cuban League. And so for them to come here, and it's been an adjustment for them because, you know, the, the, the fastballs in the Can-Am League are probably better than in the Cuban League. They see more fastballs here. In the Cuban League, a lot of curve sliders, you know, different pitches. So they had an adjustment. I mean, Maeda was one for 20 before he sort of, clicked in and now he's hitting you know regularly you know so it but it's just fun to see all this happen happen and and and, uh it's been great great for our team they you know hal lanier our manager says they're just great clubhouse guys even though they don't speak speak english neither of them they just are part of the clubhouse and they're fun and they they have a great time so it's it's been a great experience Commissioner of the Can-Am League, Miles Wolf, joining us here on Around the Diamond. And Miles, I believe it was last season. Uh, you, you know, you brought in a couple Cubans to play for the Quebec Capitals. Now they're in Ottawa. You, I believe, you have uh, four in in the league. Is that correct? 
I think uh, Quebec has three, so we've got five in the league. Okay, so now that you have five in the league, are you trying to develop a good relationship with the Cuban Federation in order to bring more players into the Canon League? Is that correct? Sure, sure. They they would have to come to the Canadian teams. Obviously, the U.S. still has their embargo on Cuban baseball players, but I think for the Cuban Federation, this is an opening because they would like to be able to send players to the U.S. Uh, and not have them defect. To, to do, you have a normal relationship with Major League Baseball. But because Canada does have good relations with Cuba, we're able to get these players, and then we're able to get visas to get them to play in the U.S. cities. Uh, but I think they're just showing that, hey, we've got players in Cuba that would be willing to play in Major League Farm Systems, if things open, but look how well they're doing in Quebec and Ottawa. So I think down the road you will see the U.S. embargo lessen, and it may be that then Cuban players can go to the, the U.S. in normal normal ways. So I guess, Miles, uh, I, I know that you had mentioned in the press conference when you announced the two Cuban signings that it was more of a, a privilege to come play here for not defecting. Is, is, is that exactly how it, it is, uh, you know, going down the road in the Can-Am League if you were to go back and try to get more players? I, I think so. I mean, I don't think that's the only reason, but particularly for Maeta and Duarte, who are, you know, older players who Major League Baseball wouldn't be interested. They're interested in the young you know, prospects, the 19, 20-year-olds on the Cuban national team. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, it's a real treat for Maeta and Duarte to be able to come to Canada and then go to the U.S. and sort of end their careers, you know, in professional baseball because they've never played professional baseball. Right. Uh, and, yeah, it's, it's, I think it is a reward for being great players in the Cuban League. And uh, here's something you know, we want to do for you. So it, it's been good. Now, Miles, um, we've seen uh, uh, quite a few, we, we've been talking about the Cuban players with Shikoku Island coming next week. Could we see uh, maybe a couple Japanese players uh, decide to come and play in the, in the Can-Am League? Do you think that could be a possibility for the future? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I mean, we talked a little last year with the Shikoku Island officials. Is there a way to get some of your guys over here? I mean, it's, uh, you know, but they're, they're the top. There are a couple independent leagues in Japan. They're the top independent league. Uh, they came last year, again, not knowing what to expect. They, they won just six games, lost 13. But this year they're, they've already won six games. They're playing 500. So they sort of upped their game by coming last year. They figured, oh, this league is much better than we expected. We better bring, uh, you know, the best players we can find. And they were the all-stars, but I think they may have a few ringers they've brought in for this. But, but no, I would hope we can <laughs> sign some of the Japanese players as we go forward. And um, uh, we talk about Shikoku Island coming next week. That'll certainly be a spectacle. Uh, one of my favorite parts of uh, of the Cuban uh, team being here was Jim Watson being there on the Friday night, and him and uh, and the city have been have been quite supportive of this Ottawa Champions team. Uh, but Jim Watson made a, a very interesting tweet, and he talked about how uh, th- there were some people in the media who said baseball wasn't going to work. And although we've seen Rogers sign on this year for a few games. We saw a really good feature on on CTV Morning uh, uh, the the other day. Um, we maybe haven't seen quite the support from the Ottawa media. You don't see uh, regular people out there uh, uh, at every game. Um, do you think that's important and maybe this team kind of moving forward in the popularity in this city? We would certainly hope so. Uh, Ladois has been very good about yeah, absolutely. The game, Excuse me, I, I forgot but, to uh, uh, mention the Citizen of the Sun, a game here and there, uh, but. We we do hope that uh, the media coverage will become a little better. Uh, you know we've you know we certainly do all the social media we can, but uh, yeah, as I say, we'd we'd love to see uh, a staff writer at all our games. Yeah, and that and with that being said, uh, thank you so much for coming on, Miles. We really appreciate you coming on to talk about uh, Chicago Island coming to Ottawa and the past Cuban series. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you again. It was a pleasure to have you on. Okay.
Thank you very much for your time, Miles. That was owner of the Ottawa Champions and commissioner of the Can-Am League, Miles Wolf. We thank him so much for coming on the show to talk about the past Cuban series as it was a great success. But coming up next, the Ottawa Champions made a couple moves this week to boost their team in general as they acquired uh, Derek Pyle from the Quebec Capitals. Corey Mess and I are going to talk about that coming up next on Around the Diamond on CKDJ 107.7. This is Matt Helms from the Ottawa Champions Baseball Club, and you're listening to Ottawa Champions Baseball on CKDJ 107.9. Welcome back to Around the Diamond on CKDJ 107.9, Ottawa's new music and home to every single Ottawa Champions game. Before we were talking with Ottawa Champions uh, owner and commissioner of the Can-Am League, Miles Wolf. Now we have a special player feature interview with Nick Cunningham as I had a chance to talk to him uh, at the ballpark about joining the Ottawa Champions and coming over here to Canada. And Cunningham, a veteran, played as high as a ball with the Baltimore Orioles, Corey. Uh, yeah, an exciting player for the Ottawa Champions to be able to pick up a guy who uh, who was quite a uh, who was a draft pick uh, um, for the Orioles and uh, an excited pl- an exciting player to get on the team and uh, and we'll see how he can do out of the bullpen. And he 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 actually uh, went to spring training, a big league spring training, played with you know guys like Zach Britton, Michael Givens, uh, spent time with those guys in the bullpen and said he learned quite a bit. But we're gonna have to hear what he has to say about that. Coming up right now on Around the Diamond on CKDJ 107.9, here's Nick Cunningham. All right, I'm joined here with Nick Cunningham, the uh, newly acquired uh, relief pitcher for the Ottawa Champions. And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Nick? Uh, How did you start and uh, uh, going back to your college days, and how did you get to this point? um, Grew up in Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, Played baseball, you know, as as much as, I mean, as far as I can remember, but... uh, Got the opportunity to go down to University of Arizona in Tucson, Arizona, to play uh, some oh, baseball. No yeah, we. Uh, won what year sh- was the uh, Arizona? Uh, I was there from 2009, the, the fall, and then all the way up until the spring of 13. That's weird because I actually just talked to uh, the uh, director of player development at the Arizona uh, College of Tucson. Or it's his name is Jimmy Van Ostrich. Um, they, they got a whole new staff, so oh, I they uh, do? yeah okay. from when I was there. But um, when I was there, we won a national title in 2012. And then, uh, so, I mean, that was a good opportunity and a good experience and just as a baseball career to, you know, go, go through that. And then after that, I got drafted by the Orioles, played two and a half years with them, went from two to various different roles, um, went from a closer my first year. And then the second year, they tried to make me a starter. It was kind of a, uh, a um, let's say, a project that failed. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then they went back to the bullpen, and then I think I was more successful my last year there. And then, uh, and then here I am. So I guess uh, now that you do mention that you were a closer, uh, what's your mentality when you come into the ball game? Is it the same as a, maybe a setup guy here in Ottawa, a middle reliever, or is it, or is yeah, it a little bit different? Definitely, because um, I mean, when you're when you're a closer, I mean, you're there to stop, you know, to stop them from scoring, basically. Yeah. And that's the same mentality as, as you got to come in, um, whether it's the fifth or whether it's the ninth. Um, you don't want to change anything up. Um, as soon as you start getting out of the element, you're gonna you're gonna make the game bigger than what it should be. So uh, I guess why don't you tell us about your pitches and, okay. and whatnot and how fast you throw? Okay, um, I throw two fastballs, a four seam and a two seam, but I rely heavily on a two seam because it's moving. I feel like anyone can hit a fastball that's straight, whether yeah. it's 88 or 100. Um, so I like to live off my two seam, and then I got a four seam changeup, but I hold it like a circle change, kind of a hybrid changeup. Um, and then I throw a traditional curveball. Um, my fastball, if everything's going well, you know, and I'm feeling pretty good, it can get up to 95, maybe 96. But um, coming out of the, I mean, uh, with the two seam, I probably live anywhere between 90 to 92 with it. Okay. Yeah. So you, you like to run that in uh, in the hands of the righties? In the hands of the righties and away from the lefties because the, the powerhouse to the lefty is uh, inside. So. Well, right. Yeah. Well, you're going to be dealing with a tough lineup in Quebec because, uh, you know, they got guys like Jordan Leonard who's got a little bit of pop in their bag, guys that play AAA. I mean, I'm not trying yeah, to get definitely. you going or anything, but I'm just saying, uh, you know, 
lefties and and whatnot. But anyway, so why don't you why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, how you like to attack left-handed hitters uh, okay. with your pitches? Um, I'd say with a lefty, I kind of have a um, a typical go-to uh, sequence that I like to go to. Uh, yeah. I like to go fastball way because a lot of lefties like to see what you got first pitch. Yeah. So you go fastball way. So now they're looking across the plate. Then I come back inside to them. So now they've seen a fastball in and out. And then he sped them up. So now you can go change up whether the count's 0 1 or 0 2 or 1 or you know, 1 2 or whatever, or 1 1. You go change up right down the middle and, that, and hopefully get them to roll over to the first base or second base. Um, but a power guy. I kind of I kind of get kind of soft with the pitches with them and just live away because you don't want to miss in to mm-hmm. a power guy. So when you were with the Orioles system, system, uh, what did you learn the most uh, playing uh, in Baltimore in A ball, rookie ball? Um, you learned how to. Uh, it was kind of a, uh, I guess, a progression of of what I've learned and how and where I came today. But uh, at first, I just learned how to become a professional. Basically, you you go. No one's there to hold your hand and and tell you what to do um you got to show up to the ballpark every day but with that said uh i learned how to just repeat my delivery because when you miss you know you're throwing balls and you can't repeat your you can't find your release point you're going to keep walking the house so that was that was the big thing and after that you learned how to be a pitcher and how you how to learn how to sequence somebody because if you can't if you can't throw a strike every time then you therefore you can't you can't set up hitters so uh, in the off season, uh, Nick, uh, what did you do uh, in order to improve your game? Um, I, I just try to stay healthy. Um, I didn't. I didn't necessarily try to develop anything new on, on as a pitcher, but I just try to perfect what I got and go from there. So just repeating everything that I got and just trying to make it um, as good as I can. So I guess uh, when you were in the Baltimore system, was there any of the guys that you kind of had a you know a good time playing with in spring training? You had a chance to meet, maybe uh, be like a sponge and, and uh, yeah. learn from. Definitely, um, I had an opportunity to go out to a big league um, game as a fill-in. So when you're up there, um, you just got to you, you get to uh, get to just hang out and just watch how these the big leaguers the, the, just go about their business, and then and then you just kind of then when you get the chance, you got to go and ask questions. Um, and like I said, I just I just tried to figure out how how they they would attack hitters and and what they did to uh, to get to where they were. So when did you go up to the big league camp? It was last uh, spring, not not spring training of uh, sixteen, spring training of fifteen. And so was that uh, in, in so it's the spring training you went up, you pitched uh, in a couple games. I didn't there? get to pitch in any games. Um, it was just it was in case somebody got hurt and they went to extra innings or whatever it may be. But I was able to sit in the bullpen with some guys, and so yeah. So you got to sit with guys like Zach Britton and, and whatnot there. Uh, I don't. He wasn't there. Um, it was uh, it was a lot of rookie, like a lot of minor league guys were there. But um, I got to see um, Eduardo. No, he was traded. Okay, he was traded. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to see Michael Givens up there. Uh, um, Tyler or Tyler Wilson. Um, I'm trying to think who started that game. I think maybe Baldo Jimenez threw that <laughs> game. Yeah. But he, yeah, he's he, nasty. Yeah, he, he's he's a he's a tall, lanky. You get to see a lot of stuff. From Dominican Republic, man, that yeah. guy's a beast. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess um, I, now that you come to the Can-Am League, you'll probably be making your first appearance in the next uh, couple days or so. Yeah, assume, yeah. yeah you probably yeah. Um, so I guess what's your mentality now that you come to the Can-Am League? What's your approach when uh, against hitters? Is it the same that you would have in, in A-ball? Absolutely. Um, I would I would attack everyone the same. Um, okay. Yeah, and, and then and until I need to make an adjustment and change maybe something up, then I would, but. At the end of the day, the hitters got to hit what I have to throw to them. So, and that, and that's the toughest part of the game is hitting. And so, uh, maybe any advice to some kids that might be listening on uh, my show on the radio uh, during the broadcast uh, tonight that uh, are maybe looking at a shot, especially here in Canada, to to make it up to uh, at least indie ball. Sure, um, I would say just uh, whatever you're doing, baseball wise, keep going. Um, don't give up if anyone tells you different. Just. And don't don't give one yourself, because some people will, but don't give up one yourself at the end of the day. Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it. Hey, this is Tyler Wilson from the Ottawa Champions Baseball Club, and you're listening to Ottawa Champions Baseball on CKDJ 107.9. Welcome back to Around the Diamond on CKDJ 107.9, Ottawa's new music and home to every single Ottawa Champions game. I am Diamond Dante, joined here with Corey Mess. Before we were talking with Nick Cunningham of the Ottawa Champions about 
uh, his career and, of course, joining the team as a middle reliever. Now we're talking Ottawa champions moves as, you know, Hal Lanier has not been afraid to pull the trigger this week as the champions have got off to a slow start. They are now at 500 once again. But the biggest move coming out of Ottawa champions camp is the release of Brian Van Kirk, the former Toronto Blue Jays double-A prospect. A top prospect in the Blue Jays organization for a period. He was uh, uh, in their double-A organization, and I think the champions expected a lot of him. Um, a lot had been written about his story, kind of of redemption, coming back a couple years ago after being uh, suspended for uh, for um, drug use uh, yeah. a couple seasons ago. And, and they wrote about that in the Ottawa Sun. This was a chance to, for him to redeem himself, maybe. Uh, but he just hasn't produced, I think, to the level that the uh, the champions front office was expecting for him. One home run, six RBIs on the year. So really hasn't put up big numbers. Uh, he's had good at-bats, uh, second on the team in walks, a very good on-base percentage. But really, I think for a guy who they brought in as maybe a marquee free agent signing this year, he, he hasn't been that player. And so uh, the champions have decided to move on. Well, I know that you're right about that as Brian Van Kirk was supposed to be that guy to come in and have good power numbers out of the cleanup spot behind Sebastian Boucher as a righty. The champion side, Donald Duarte and Alexander Maeda, so they don't really need him as much anymore. He was batting seventh in the lineup. And the one thing that I'm going to say, I wouldn't say he was that bad. He was a lazy, I would say he, his defense was was below par. And as an old-time manager in Hal Lanier, you want a guy that's going to run out every single ball and help out your pitchers to get outs. I know the other night he made a nice catch, but I think that uh, that's what it came down to. Well, and, and the fact that you see the potential from him on that nice catch and the fact that he doesn't do that all the time is is a little disappointing for Hallinier because uh, he's clearly a guy who has a lot of ability, um, but but you don't always see it. and um, uh, Just not a ton of range in right field. Um, uh, but and, and like we said, he really hasn't been that bad. He, he's second on the team in walks, very good on base percentage. 250. But I just don't think that he's the player that this team expected uh, when he came. He hadn't played in two years. He's now 30 years old, hadn't played since 2014 as he was injured for a, over a full calendar year, uh, played in Camden in 2014 after he was released by the New Hampshire Fisher Cats. Hal Lanier was expecting to see the same Brian Van Kirk that was with the Toronto Blue Jays system, who didn't hit for an high average, two, around 250 to 260 average, but he always put up good home run numbers, you know, looking 17 home runs. He had good power, a good clean swing. But this year, I thought, you know, the walks were there. He he walked a good amount of the times, didn't steal, of course, but had one home run, which was an inside-the-park home run. Never really hit the ball to the wall too much. No, and, and I think that's exactly it, right? He he didn't, I think, produce the power numbers that the champions were expecting. Um, and, I mean, he's he's still a very talented player, and I think he'll be picked up, if not by a Can-Am, Can-Am League team, by an American Association team. I, I would not be surprised to see that at all. Atlantic League. Um, I, or, or, as you say, going back to the Atlantic League uh, could be a possibility for him. So we'll see what happens with Brian Van Kirk, just not quite able to uh, to cut it here. Not well, in the Can Camden, uh, for Camden in the Atlantic League in 109 games, had, you know, 11 home runs, 58 RBIs, a 270 average, which is uh, what you're going to expect. Which is about like, which is about what he's projecting to be this season, just without the RBIs. You're right about that, and he, you know, he had 40 walks. His on base was uh, above 340, which is you know above league average at that point. But the Ottawa Champions go out and acquire right after releasing. Brian Van Kirk, they acquired Derek Piles, an indie veteran. He's been playing in independent ball since 2006. He is now 30 years old, never was drafted, never was signed into affiliated ball, but comes to the Ottawa Champions. And we spoke to John Fitzsimmons, he said, uh, who was a former teammate of Derek Piles earlier in the show, and he said, well, I'm going to tell you right now, this guy is going to give you a lot of leadership in the dressing room, and he is a hard worker, Corey. Well, and, and they lose the veteran presence of Brian Van Kirk, and so they, they try and bring in another one, and they get it they get it back with Derek Piles. Um, from everything we've read about him, he seems to be a very hard worker. Um, uh, started his career as a center fielder, but has played mostly left, a little bit of right, and that's, I think, where we'd expect him to slot for the Ottawa champions, but always a very consistent player, seems to be a good dressing room guy, and I think someone that'll be, uh, that'll be valuable to this champions team, and he's gotten off to a great start 
with uh, with the Capitals this year. Well, Corey, another thing being uh, you know acquiring Derek Piles is you know he's you know hitting 375 this year. In his last couple of years, he's hit over 300 in the last three seasons yeah. in independent ball. He played in the Atlantic League. Uh, uh, he hit 320 there, and in the Can-Am League in 20 games this season, is he hitting 375? He has. Um, I believe it's 24 hits in 20 games, which is a, a very good number coming off the bench. And you know what? The Capitals have a deep team. The reason why they had to dump him or to send him to the Ottawa Champions to a player to me later is because Trevor Gretzky's coming off the disabled list and they're going to need him uh, to do some things. And of course, he puts lots of fans in the ballpark as well. Well, absolutely. And, and an understandable move for them. And I think a good move for the Ottawa Champions to be able to uh, know that they were maybe going to have to release a guy with Trevor Gretzky coming back and how going in and uh, and maybe sharking away a very good outfielder here. Uh, he, and and um, uh, Derek Piles, I think the last few seasons, something else that Hal probably likes is that he'll be able to keep Matt Helms in left. 2015, 2014, uh, Piles uh, in shortened seasons played mostly right field in those seasons. Well, and so um, I, I the rest of his major uh, his um, his baseball career has been spent mostly in left, but he does have a lot of experience in right, and well, I, I think it'll allow Hal to keep the outfield as is for now. He likes Matt Helms in left field and I'll tell you why because that the most balls are hit to left field yeah. and he makes great catches we've seen him make I think four or five diving catches this season and that's been another reason to acquire uh, Derek Piles because he's a hard worker and pitchers are going to like this guy a lot of you know a lot of guys I'm, I mean if you look at it, you know, there was a couple balls that were hit to Van Kirk that he just drop, let drop right in front of him, which, you know, would upset some of the pitchers. I'm not saying that it did, but just from the looks of it, you know, in the, the pitcher's motion there in their body, you could see that they weren't happy about that. Uh, but now we're going to move over to a couple other moves that the champions made. Of course, we, we knew that they would release uh, Robert Garza a while ago, um, but they do acquire... Mike Mastroberti, a small, young middle infielder that Hal Lanier said in post-game comments after a big win over the Cuban national team that he thinks that Mastroberti can play all over the diamond, Corey. He can play a little right field. He can turn him into a super utility man because of uh, how much athleticism he has, Corey. Well, and in his few games with the champions so far, we've been able to see that athleticism. And even balls that are that are caught in the outfield on fly balls, we saw him twice last night, almost be around second by the time the ball's caught. So yeah. he, he's he's clearly got a lot of speed, a lot of athleticism. That's why Hal let him lead off uh, on during his professional debut on Sunday against the Cuban national team. And he fed on that confidence by Hal Lanier, went three for five, looked very good, uh, went one for two in his uh, in his pinch hit appearance. Um, against Trois Rivières yeah. on uh, on Tuesday, and and has been very solid so far in a champion's uniform. And maybe we'll get to see him play third base a little and see if his arms cut out to uh, to be one of the corner infielders. Another thing that the champions did is they released Brian Erie, uh, a veteran backup catcher, 26 years old. He's been around for quite a long time. Played in the Frontier League um, with, or sorry, in the American Association with Kansas City T-Bones. Uh, this guy, you know, was wasn't producing. He was hitting over. He was hitting a 150 on the season. Was making lots of errors behind home plate. But and then they go out inside a son, a young uh, catcher in Nick Lops out of the Empire League, Corey. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and uh, I mean, uh, Nick Lops is, I think, just a rookie player who will be Danny Grower's backup at least for the first little bit here. And he'll have to adjust to Can-Am League plays. Never really played at this level before. Put up some decent numbers uh, down in the Empire League. Uh, hit over 250. Had a couple RBIs. So um, hopefully he can adjust. We'll see a little extra time for him. We saw him in the DH spot last night. Have a couple good at-bats. Um, but uh, this is a, a higher level for him. So he's going to have to adjust. And you're right about that, Corey. Because, you know, he's a left-handed bat. It's good to have another left. Well, they don't Absolutely. have any left-handed bats on the bench. And he comes off the bench. He can, you know, platoon with Grower. Although Grower's hitting a lot better uh, at this point uh, but with that being said the champions have made lots of moves and that's going to wrap up this june 25th edition of around the diamond here on ckdj 1079 Corey, thank you so much for coming on the show of course you can listen to all the champions games uh, on ckdj 1079 or you can watch them at canmleague.tv we will have the feed so if you're ever if you're ever in the car and you're thinking about what the champions game is going like you turn on the 107 dial and you'll hear myself, Corey, or Mike Nellis, and even Jordan Pearson, one of our other colleagues, uh, calling the game. Or you'll hear the feed of uh, the away side on uh, either in New Jersey when they go to town. And uh, Shikuku Island's coming up next. We'll have a full recap of that 
uh, in our next edition of Around the Diamond that's coming up next Saturday. Um, Corey Mess and myself will be in studio with that. Maybe Mike Nellis. We'll see what his schedule's like. But thank you so much for listening. Corey, thank you for coming on this show. Uh, for Diamond Dante and Corey Mess, you can follow myself at Twitter, uh, Diamond underscore Dante, and follow Corey, former Inside Man. Uh, you can check out our past episodes at our SoundCloud, Diamond Dante Audio. Uh, I have all the past episodes going on there. We'll see you next week on Around the Diamond on CKDJ 1079 Ottawa's New Music.